0: This is Geek 4, a podcast about fans, fandom, and fan culture. I'm Dr. Michael Boyce. Everyone likes something, but what are you a geek for? David Annandale is a senior instructor in the Department of English, Theater, Film, and Media at the University of Manitoba, where he teaches courses on European horror, video games and theory, and the comic book film. He's also an author whose novels and short stories cover a variety of genres, science fiction, fantasy, horror, including tie-in fictions for Black Library and Aconite Books. David, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about horror.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Can you describe to me how you first got into horror?
1: Well, the story I uh, certainly, I, I traditionally tell is that it's all because of my three sons. Uh, which I uh, used to watch when I was very little, so I would have been about four, when one of the characters on the show asked another character what a dinosaur was. So I asked my father what a dinosaur was, who proceeded to show me some pictures in his encyclopedia, and that immediately led to an obsession with dinosaurs. And that was the gateway drug, because then a few years later I encountered a, a dinosaur named Godzilla. And in, and I, in 1976, uh, in, I saw in Zeller's uh, Dennis Gifford's book, A Pictorial History of Horror Movies, which had pictures of Godzilla. And so I got the book, and then that, that, was, that was the mainline drug. Uh, from that moment on, I was hooked. Having said that, even you know, going back as far as I can remember, even in you know, nursery school, uh, my favorite color was black. So uh, <laughs> all the, the drawings I did were just black scribbles. So the, the, you know, the, the seeds uh, seem to have been there probably at conception. Uh, but uh, it was uh, via dinosaurs, through Godzilla, and into Dennis Gifford's uh, horror movie book. I, that yeah, Certainly from 1976 on, the obsession was absolute. And hasn't wavered since.
0: After Godzilla, I mean, the the rubber monsters are incredibly drawing for young mind. Mm. What uh, what was the next the next level of horror? Where did you go from there?
1: Well, it, it was through reading that book, which introduced me to Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi and Lon Chaney's senior and junior and uh, Hammer films. So the the entire uh, fact, uh, Georges Méliès was one of my early idols so, uh, as a kid. Uh, and I have since made my pilgrimage to the pat Lachaise cemetery in Paris to see his tomb so the uh there was a long obsession with particularly old uh older horror films silent and uh from the golden age the uh, uh, the thirties and, and and to some extent the forties so that uh and that that 's a book that i, I I read that book over and over and over again. I'd be picking up issues of Famous Monsters of Filmland when they would uh, uh, show up in the uh, the local drugstore. And uh, along with this too, the I was reading some of the Armada Ghost books uh, uh, edited by Mary Danby, and you know, encountering stories which, you know, at, the, at that time, the authors didn't. Name of the authors didn't uh, mean anything to me, but I've looked back at those anthologies since and seen that there's some M.R. James and um, F. Marion Crawford and uh, other uh, g- classic ghost story writers in there. So from there, and then uh, also my, my father got me uh, John Burke's Hammer Horror Film Omnibuses, which were novelizations of eight of the classic Hammer films. So and that was also uh you know perhaps uh, there was a, perhaps a bit of foreshadowing there, because that, uh, as far as I can recall, was my first encounter with Thai in fiction mm. and uh i I read those over and over and over again so from there the but but at the same time there, there was uh for quite a number of years there was a um my focus was entirely on on classic horror I was scared of anything too too violent right. But uh, for my 13th birthday in uh, January 1980, uh, my, uh, I got my dad to take me to see Alien. And that was my first encounter with contemporary horror. And I spent a good chunk of the, the film's running time curled into a fetal position, just you know, terrified beyond words. It wasn't my first encounter with with, uh, terror in in film. I mean, we all have, well, certainly uh, those of us of a certain age have our Disney traumas uh, Mm -hmm. in our youth. And for me, that was Night on Bald Mountain and Fantasia. And I was terrified by Boris Karloff in Son of Frankenstein and by Quatermass in the pit. But in terms of new horror, uh, Alien was my first uh, encounter. And as absolutely traumatized as I was by that film, it also immediately became my favorite movie and uh, has <laughs> remained so to this day. Uh, and so from there, there uh, within a year or so, I encountered Stephen King. Actually, the first book of his that I read was his nonfiction book, Dance Macabre, which was a very thorough grounding in horror, uh... Fiction for me. It introduced me to Ramsey Campbell and Shirley Jackson and Peter Straub and uh, James Herbert and uh, along with uh, horror in the, the uh, television and radio and uh, the, the other media. So uh, certainly by that point, I think the, uh, the, the obsession then spread out to encompass uh, horror in all its forms. And I was more and more consciously trying to write my own. By by that uh, stage as well.
0: There's so much to unpack in, in what you <laughs> said. Um, I mean, there, there's the, the the fascination with the the early horror films, the the classic period, the Hammer films. But there's also like the modern horror, like you you've kind of touched on. Horror is a, a pretty broad term, a it pretty is. flexible yeah. term. How would you define horror?
1: Well, that was the. In, that that was what I tried to do in my actually in my for my uh, doctoral thesis. Um, and, I
0: didn't think it would be an easy answer.
1: <laughs> no, and uh, and it still isn't. Uh, the my 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 answer uh, of a kind there was to define it, uh, it was to uh, using uh, the the work of uh, Gilles Deleuze and Félix Guattari uh, as as a rhizome that uh, so sort of seeing horror not as a genre but as a almost as, as a kind of parasitic growth that can certainly um absorb or inhabit just about any other form though it when it becomes the dominant uh form let's say it 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 does take on uh genre-like characteristics except Mm -hmm. that they change so much from decade to decade and century to century that trying to define it generically, and, and of course, ver, almost any genre, as soon as we try to get, start getting into definitions, things get very, very slippery. Yeah. Uh, but I think horror is particularly resistant to that. So a, if we think of it as a, a bundle of tactics whose uh, intent is to create the physiological responses of fear, terror, horror, revulsion in the reader, viewer, player, listener. And those tactics will change over time so that, uh, you know, on the face of it, there's not a lot of uh, similar, there isn't a lot that connects, say, the mysteries of Udolpho mm. to cannibal holocaust. Uh, but there, there is still that commonality of, of, of thrust. And though the, the, the tools change, we can, uh, they're, they're still, we, we know they're from the same family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're also right in that the uh, it is such a a broad church that the the fascination for horror almost inevitably leads to other genres as well, uh, yeah. and, and you can see that manifested in magazines like, say, Videoscope or Shock Cinema, which uh, may which you just call themselves essentially they they look at genre cinema, right? Because mm-hmm uh it's trying to let's say separate an interest in horror from science fiction from film noir uh from exploitation film it's like trying to uh untangle strands of dna yeah even though there are char- d- d- definite characteristics from form to form
0: that's one of the things that strikes me about horror is that it, it can be so much because it's it's the thing that scares us which mm-hmm. you know as you as you said we all have our our, our Disney frights. We, we we were scared by different things. I remember um, when I was in grade eight, there was a, a horror unit in in English, um, mm-hmm. and and I was both like drawn and terrified of what this would mean. And you know, we ended up watching like you know versions of uh, Jekyll and Hyde from the twenties and, and stuff that wasn't scary at all. Mm-hmm. But then you know, learning that this actually terrified people in in its original run yeah. uh, was kind of surprising, but the things that scare us seem to draw us for some reason.
1: Yes. You're going to ask me why now, right? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, King, uh, asks the question, you know, why do we pay good money to be made extremely uncomfortable? Right. And, you know, I don't know that there's a really satisfactory answer to that. Uh, I, I remember, uh, I think it's in the the philosophy of horror that Noel Carroll kind of uh, sort of identifies curiosity as the uh, the the driving force. And I think that that would certainly accounts to some degree for what you were saying that you know being drawn to the thing that frightens us, but uh, because it, but you know why are we scared of this or, or you know, is, are we frightened because it's tapping into something that we have a fundamental primal curiosity about it? Well, death, for example, right? I mean, we, hmm. you know, we're, we're scared of it, but it plays a pretty big role. In, in, it's in inevitable. We, yeah. Uh, so we want to know more about it. So I think yeah, certainly curiosity is there. It's been suggested that you know, horror is a way of, of indulging in that curiosity in a safe way. But that's not enough, because the, the the problem with that explanation is it sets aside the actual fear, right? It, it it almost makes fear an unfortunate side effect, right? Or or the price we have to pay to engage in that curiosity. But that's that's not good enough. Uh, I know that uh, well. I mean, I've seen so many horror films now that it's rare that one is going to to, to be able to frighten me. But when one does, right, uh, it's it's a wonderful thing, right? And uh, I, a, a friend who's in a similar uh, situation, we we go to see these films together. And when when we get that jolt, right, you know, when we've been you know actually frightened and we feel the goosebumps, so we have that... Ah! And then we almost invariably look at each other with huge grins on our faces, right? There's this ecstasy that follows the, the fear. Like, we were scared. It scared us. This is a great movie, right? The uh, reason people,
0: people jump out of planes, like. <laughs> well, yes. I'm assuming. Yeah. The, the intensity of emotion.
1: It, you know, the the exhilaration that, that comes after I imagine the adrenaline rush must be something uh, else. I would frankly be too frightened to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's I don't I don't see that as exploring uh, fear in a safe way. <laughs> um, Nor I. But the thing is, the when you hear so many people talk about a mo- um, they if they express a at least for for a lot of horror fans, they'll talk about a movie being f- that really really scared them as a positive thing. In the same way that non horror fans will not like the movie because it scared them, but horror fans mm-hmm. will like it because it scared
0: them. Scared them.
1: And so clearly, their you know, fear is not the. It's not a bug; it's the feature.
0: So, after Alien, mm-hmm. what what scares you? What, what what are some of the the touchstone films that scare you? Have scared you?
1: I can remember a terrifying moment being being terrified by things like uh, the the final conflict, uh, the the third Omen film. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, My first experience of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, which was, and we a friend and I, you know, this is back when you had to rent VCRs. I remember. And uh, we rented that and watched it in uh, in in the middle of the afternoon, and we thought we were going to die. Uh, (laughs) It was uh, uh, really, really uh, uh, hard on us. Uh, And uh, you know, some of the more recent uh, things that, uh, that the the fact that a film like *Hereditary* can be so genuinely upsetting mm-hmm. uh, it was uh, a, a wonderful experience for me. And in print, you know, it, it's a similar kind of thing where it's the the early horror novels that you read that are the ones that uh, live on in your nightmares that you remember with great terror. So, both—I uh, read Peter Straub's *Ghost Story* and Ramsey Campbell's *The Parasite* when I was home sick. Which meant that I got was able to just read them uninterruptedly, and um, I was scared to go to sleep after finishing The Parasite. I remember a Ghost Story having to take a break in the the bedsheets drenched with cold sweat. <laughs> you know, really, really uh, nightmarishly frightening, but of course, treasured memories for uh, for that reason too.
0: It's it's amazing how those those memories stay with us. I mean, probably the the films that have scared me most, or the most scared, connected with media of any sort. The Blair Witch Project.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Which, which I saw um, at a theater uh, a couple cities over. We had to drive back through the country, <laughs> which was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. um, Exorcist, as yeah. I saw it at, a, at an early age. Jaws, which I saw way too young. Yeah, and couldn't get past the first scene. I ran out of the house, screaming. It wasn't my house. And playing Resident Evil 4 while house-sitting for a friend who lived in in the country and being out there all by myself freaked me out. Those stay touch-smart for me. I mean, I can watch Jaws now, totally appreciate it. Exorcist, Blair Witch, same thing. But that feeling of horror, that terror, Mm -hmm. that first experience of terror, it stays with you.
1: It does. Well, and... I, when you mentioned Resident Evil, uh, I remember the, the first, my first horror game was uh, Silent Hill 2. which yes. uh, And by that point, uh, it, you know, I was pretty inured to uh, horror in, in uh, every other medium, but uh, I was relatively new to playing video games then. I mean, I, I, there was a big gap in my video game experience. Arcade games when I was in high school, so you know, Time Pilot and the, the first Star Wars game. Uh, but then, as far as consoles are concerned, I jumped from the Telstar uh, and Pong to the Xbox, so <laughs> it was quite a uh, yeah. And uh, and s- playing Silent Hill Two was—it felt like watching a horror movie for the first time. Uh, the, the the engagement, the fact that I had to make decisions that were then then a scary thing was going to come—it was you know absolutely frightening.
0: And and you're immersed in a different way. We,
1: you are, you are. Video
0: games are very cinematic, but it because you're participating. Yeah games scare me
1: yeah oh yeah and uh, I think you know they, they, they still can the uh, uh, actually it wasn't that long ago uh, a virtual reality thing called sisters it's just on the um, you can get it on on any uh, smartphone uh, and just using the cardboard uh, uh, VR the graphics are pretty primitive but you feel like you're still you're actually there and uh, that was uh, that, that was pretty terrifying. And some of the examples you've mentioned, uh, I'm pleased. I teach Jaws every year, and it's uh, it surprises me pleasantly uh, how frightening a number of students still find it. especially when it's it's their first time that it hasn't lost any of its uh, its power to, uh, to to frighten people.
0: I had a similar experience years ago, uh, first moved to the city and what was the um, uh, uh, theater downtown. I forget In town. The IMAX theater. Oh yes, down, yeah. Would show yeah. would show classic films on Saturdays or something like that. Yeah. And uh, my wife and I went and saw Psycho, which I've seen dozens and dozens of yeah. times. Everyone knows the twist of Psycho; it's not a surprise when Norman Bates is revealed to be the mother. Mm-hmm. However, there are some genuinely scary jump uh, jump fright moments where you know he jumps out of something, and yeah. people were screaming in hmm. the theater, and it was like thrilling for me just that people were still able to be scared by something and they weren't looking at this film. Like I looked at that twenties version of Jekyll and Hyde, which was just like, Oh, it's kind of kind of weird and it's interesting and, but it's not scary to see people be scared by something that is very familiar is, is is really exciting.
1: And there's something delightful about the collective experience of that too. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember uh, seeing Exorcist three for the first time in a packed theater, and when its most infamous scare happens, seeing uh, I was sit- sitting fairly far towards the back, so I saw an entire sea of heads rear up uh, at precisely the same moment. And uh, you mentioned uh, the Blair Witch Project, so I went to that uh, on opening night with uh, a, a group of friends, and you know. Experience the, the, their terror essentially vicariously, or sort of watching them a- afterwards just reduced to quivering wrecks. Uh, one fellow next to me is uh, hands up over uh, his face, uh, uh, asking questions a mile a minute. His blanched face uh, afterwards. The uh, I gather that uh, one of one of the others, uh, she wound up having to sleep with, uh, uh, with her mum for the next three nights uh, after seeing the film. So just you know, seeing the uh, a, a, a movie hit an audience like that. And it, and it felt like seeing that film on the first night felt like, okay, so this is what it must've been like to be in the first audience for night of the living dead or for psycho, mm-hmm. right? The, yes. the, the films that took the audiences by surprise.
0: Yeah. People forget. I mean, I, I'm a film scholar, but horror isn't really my, my, my bailiwick, but people forget how, revolutionary Blair which was with the viral marketing that made it mm. seem like it was found footage, the the use of of uh, cam to, to give an unsettling feel. I mean, like, you know, the, the Dogma Group was doing it in a different way, but we really hadn't seen anything like that in America. And then all these things kind of working together to make this really
1: visceral experience yeah.
0: that that totally unsettled
1: people it did and the, the the viral marketing in particular i think gave it this this documentary quality that the you know, there were, even though the cast was showing up on talk shows there the, there was that that aura of reality to it and in that regard it certainly uh yeah and it certainly it you know the 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 found footage horror film that the wave that continues to this day we can trace directly to well, the, the, the explosion to Blair Witch though it itself has a, a direct ancestor in cannibal holocaust which uh uses much of the same techniques uh in terms of of found footage and uh
0: Where the director actually had to bring the cast out to prove he did not kill them
1: exactly but but that is a film that didn't have the same kind of impact on, on the mainstream it's uh largely unavailable uh after it's you know certainly through the uh The late through the 80s and 90s, just you know, unless you were watching a bootleg VHS, you weren't going to see that film. It wasn't really known outside of horror fandom, as opposed Mm to Blair Witch, which arguably got promoted outside of its natural uh, uh, environment, which meant that you also had people who were really bored, wondering when the witch was going to show up. Uh, But it had a, a, a mainstream impact and uh, you know, the fact that it, it played everywhere and the promotion on, on, on television was everywhere and, we, uh, and, and it's, it's entered into the popular consciousness in a way that its found footage uh, ancestor didn't.
0: Well and there's something about Blair Witch that is kind of an interesting blueprint for what horror could be. Horror to me, like one of the reasons it continues to be popular, a people like to be scared, mm. but you can make them relatively cheaply. Yeah. And and make a huge profit. And and you don't need a lot of, you know, if you do it well, mm-hmm. if you a competent filmmaker can make a good horror film without a great cast with, you know, with a with a really good script, you can you can get away with some stuff. He well, with a drama or a comedy.
1: Yeah, and in terms of your point about profitability, I think a case in point is the uh, the Conjuring universe, uh, yeah. which, uh, in terms of uh, budget to uh, box office, the now this is a, a year or so ago. I last did, uh, the uh, the calculations, but at that time was something like four or five times more profitable than the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
0: Yeah, yeah, those films are incredibly expensive to make. They make a. Yeah, a ton of money, but th- they're very expensive to make, whereas you can make, you can make a horror film for relatively cheap, and if you don't show The Witch...
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, and, and that, you know, you, you see audiences dividing uh, along those lines. And I think the, uh, the, the tripartite division that uh, Stephen King talks about in Dance My Cops is still, uh, I think, a useful shorthand here but he talks about the difference between terror horror and revulsion the terror the the, the thing that you do not see that relies entirely on your imagination horror all right now you see the monster uh, mm-hmm. you see something that's physically wrong and then revulsion which is the gross out and we'll have films that will use all three uh, uh, or and and you know books and games uh, you know, in whatever medium that'll we'll use all three or focus more towards one end than the other. So we have the quiet horror and we have the splatter punk. Uh, we have the, uh, the, the all encompassing. So, and, and that speaks also to uh, the, the preferences of audiences or how they're going to respond. So uh, Blair Witch Project, which is operates almost exclusively at the level of terror and the unseen, mm-hmm. you, 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 get that sense of, I mean, people at that film were either bored or terrified. Right. There wasn't a lot of 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 a gray zone there uh, because it depended so much on activating the imagination. And so the that final shot of as the camera falls down and we see uh, the, the young man standing in the corner. So you're not you know, it's just a guy in a corner. Right. But. If your imagination has been engaged, that image means so much because of what the film what's has built doing up.
0: What's he in that corner? What's happening? Yeah. What, what is, yeah.
1: And if you're waiting for the special effects, then you're going to be wondering, well, what? what what's the big deal? Uh, and it's, uh, it's obviously like, like any art form, it's so subjective. Like comedy, you know, is it going to be funny or not? Is it going to be uh, scary or not? The, with, with, certainly with terror, if it works, it can really linger in the mind. Uh, admittedly, so can Revulsion. Uh, and you know, on the one hand, uh, King said there's no trick to that. Uh, you just have to uh, so sh- show someone your chewed up food. That's not, it's not hard to be uh, gross. But that's also not entirely true because if you look at the, the, the works that go all the way and you know, push the audience into the places they do not want to go, but do it well, films like Martyrs, uh, for example. Uh, or to take an older uh, film, but that was absolutely extreme for audiences of its time, Eyes Without a Face. Those are extraordinarily powerful films that get a lot of their power from showing you more than you want to see, much, much more than you want to see, and would be diminished if they were not that explicit.
0: If someone asked you, David, I'm kind of interested in horror, but I haven't watched a lot. Where would you... Direct them. Where would you get them to start?
1: I would probably ask them more questions to see uh, what kinds of, if the 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 sorts of things that might have scared them in the past that they enjoy, and uh, or to learn what does frighten them. Right, because for some people it's it's going to be the Exorcist. Uh, mm-hmm. The it will be the supernatural. But for others. It, the supernatural won't have any impact whatsoever. Yeah, I don't believe in the, in, in that stuff. Yeah. I, I cannot or I cannot suspend my disbelief uh, in that. So then it's going to be more Silence of the Lambs, for example. Uh, with uh, and, and though you know, I don't think the Hannibal Lecter is actually any more uh, likely than Dracula. Uh, the you know for for some there's going to be that easier suspension of disbelief that oh this could happen be because it's such an individual thing and uh we've all been in the situation i think of recommending oh you're going to love this movie and then they hate it and then oh yeah <laughs> regardless of genre
0: i worked in video stores for years <laughs> i know that feeling well yeah. what was the last thing you liked then i'll 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 tailor my my recommendation yeah if if someone were to ask i mean it's again a loaded question mm. someone who who does like horror who has liked a lot of things but whose viewing has been limited mostly to north american american hollywood films mm. What kind of directions might you suggest they explore?
1: Well, certainly, uh, I think the uh, sort of Europe and Japan are the the, the two that would immediately uh, leap out. So uh, there's there's so much uh, from you know to you know to look at things like Kuroneko or Nonibaba Baba and Kaidan uh, for mm-hmm. you know from around the sixties for uh, Japan, and then to you know the you know, Juan, um Audition, if you want something particularly, uh, uh, some really strong medicine uh, coming out of, uh, from Japan, some of the things like that. Uh, European horror, which is uh, one of my great loves there. Mario Bava and Dario Argento would be the, the names that would immediately leap to mind.
0: Oh, Argento. Oh, <laughs> I mean, deep, deep Red remains for me one of those films. I mean, I could have mentioned it in the other ones mm. as, as terrifying in a way that, I just I hadn't expected because of the the explicitness of the first murder. Yes, and and then and then the tension and terror created by the rest of the film. He never goes back there again. Yeah, but then you know the, the oh, Suspiria and. Oh.
1: Yeah, I think my one of my early encounters with him was Inferno. In fact, the very first time I heard of him was uh Inferno, which they showed scenes from on uh we were living in France at the time. I was uh 13 I guess when that came out and there was a science fiction kids show on Saturdays and they'd show you scenes from the new movies that were out and they showed scenes from Inferno, which I ran out of the room during that. You know, I was like this is a movie that was, you know, Restricted to uh, over 18s. I don't know why they, <laughs> they were covering it. but or French. Yeah. But I couldn't get it out of my mind. And the po- that the, it, its poster uh, uh, out of my head, that, that skull that turns into sensuous lips. And so I finally saw it in the theaters on a return trip to, uh, to Paris in 1986. And it was like falling into a delirious nightmare. And it was absolutely terrifying, and I loved every second of it.
0: His films are so good. Is like when when he's on.
1: Yeah, yeah, hasn't been on in a little while, but uh, but that period running certainly, you know, the the you know that peak from Deep Red through to to Opera uh, is. uh, I mean, that's an Mm -hmm. and and with good films on either side of that, that you know, you're allowed to rest on your laurels after uh, a streak like that.
0: Would you be up for a little? a uh, fast question answer
1: Absolutely. All
0: right, so this can be about horror, this can be about other interests, you have lots of interests. <laughs> You're coming back. What is your most treasured piece of geeky memorabilia or merchandise?
1: Oh boy. Um, that is a really good question. And the thing is I heard you ask that question and <laughs> I, I, I ever think what would be my answer to that? Um, Well, probably, at least what's coming to mind is um, I have the -the glow-in-the-dark Aurora model kit of Godzilla that I bought um, Mm. back in the uh, early to mid-70s, and I I still have it. Uh, So that would probably uh, be uh, uh, the the one I'd point to.
0: Have you ever dressed up for Halloween as a character from a horror film? And if so, who?
1: Well, I was the Frankenstein monster for my very first Halloween, uh, though I didn't know that that I was. Uh, It was a vinyl mask or plastic uh, uh, mask. I didn't know who the Frankenstein monster was yet. So I only found out and my parents didn't know, I guess, or didn't mention it to me. So it would only be a couple of years later that – or some years later that I realized that's what I was wearing. At the time, I just I, – I liked the mask and got my mom to make uh, a crepe paper costume, which promptly dissolved in the blizzard that uh, <laughs> fell on my very first trick-or-treating. I struggling through, you know, snow up to my uh, uh, thighs with my dad. But I called I, – the costume I, I uh, called was King of the Monsters. Uh, so I, uh, was unconsciously anticipating Godzilla while wearing a Frankenstein monster mask.
0: What's something that you're a fan of that might surprise people?
1: Um, yeah, I, that's something else I've been wondering about. I mean, it would, it probably wouldn't surprise a lot of people that I'm a fan of extreme metal. Um, Given given my other interests, um, but uh, but maybe <laughs> you know it's always hard to know from other people's perspectives.
0: I think that would surprise people. If there's one horror film that you see is on TV, you will always stop and watch. What is it?
1: Oh, there's so many, uh, but um, you know if it was you know so I could say the car, the Flesh Eaters, um, you know the uh, Quatermass and the Pit.
0: I love Quatermass.
1: There's, there's, you know, I, I don't think there's one, there's hundreds that if it pops up, I'm going to be watching. Fair it. Yeah. enough. Fair enough. Where <laughs> can people
0: find you on social media?
1: They can find me on Twitter at David underscore Annandale.
0: I'll put, uh, I'll put that link in the show notes and I'll put links to your books in the show notes. So if people are interested, if people have enjoyed this conversation, check out David's stuff. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much. This has been fun.
0: Thank you for joining me on Geek 4. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Geek4Pod or me on Twitter at MWBoice. If you listen on Apple Podcast, click the subscribe button and consider leaving a five-star review. Be sure to join us next time when we learn what someone else is a geek for.